Okay, we're going to uh, read from Colossians today. Uh, We're in a series in the book of Colossians where we learn uh, that as believers we are complete in Christ, which means we have everything we need to know God and to live uh, for Him. And today we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Yeah, if you have a Bible, it's good to have that open so you can follow along. And if you don't, the verses are on the screen. Okay, so let's hear from God's Word. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Well, let's pray and uh, ask God for understanding. Heavenly Father, as your word says that... uh, We're to delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on your law day and night. And we pray, Father, that as we look at this part of your word, that you would help us to do that, to meditate on it, so that it gets deep into our hearts and it becomes something that changes us as your spirit works powerfully through your word. And we ask this for for Jesus' sake. Amen. You know, uh, clothing or clothes are actually a uh, very big part of our lives. Uh, According to a report in the ABC just last year, apparently Australians spend on average uh, $2,000 a year on clothes. And when I read that, I got quite excited because uh, recently I had bought a pair of jeans from Big W for $20. Uh, which means that this year alone I can buy 100 pairs of uh, jeans. Uh, It's actually been said that what you wear says a lot about you. I don't know what big W pants say, but but it is true in many ways. Uh, For example, you can can tell what job a person does usually just by what they're wearing. Uh, You can sometimes tell where people are from by the clothes they wear, uh, especially if you're at the airport. Uh, You can tell how old someone is um, by the clothes that they wear, uh, which makes it a little bit strange when you meet someone uh, in their older years uh, wearing a hoodie uh, with some um, sort of, you know, youth-looking graphic on it. It's a little bit odd. Um, But what you wear, it says a lot about you, which means that in many ways clothes function like an identity marker. It says something about who you are. And see, that's the metaphor that's running through this passage that we're looking at today. Uh, 
this passage is describing how a Christian should live. And it does so using the metaphor of putting on clothes. Uh, Clothes that identify you, or probably to put it more accurately, clothes that fit with your identity of being someone who is in Christ. And uh, we've been looking at this series in Colossians where we learn that to be a Christian, it's more than just being a follower of Jesus. A Christian isn't just someone who follows the example of Jesus, but a Christian is someone who is united to Christ, someone who the Bible describes as being in Christ so that all the things that Jesus has achieved in his life, in his death, in his resurrection are all considered true of you. And so do you know what that means? It means that the moment you put your trust in Jesus, you are as loved and accepted in God's sight as if you are Jesus himself because you are in Christ. And that's how God looks at you. And what we've been learning in Colossians is that the way that God looks at us in Christ is the way we're to think about ourselves. That's our true self. We're to let that shape the way we think about ourselves. And so rather than looking at ourselves as you know, a self-made person with all the flaws and imperfections and different achievements, those things are not our true self. Our true self is who we are in Christ. His life is what defines us. And last week we had a look at what happens when that begins to get a hold of your heart it means that the old life, those character, the things that characterize the old life of ignoring God and, and, and living as if you were the boss of your own life, that you throw it away. It no longer fits with who you are. And today we see that not only do we have to throw off the old stuff, the old clothes of, of unbelief and disobedience, but we are also to put on Put on clothes that fit who you are. Put on clothes that, that re- reveal your true identity in Christ. Put on characteristics that fit your true self. And this is the way that you are changed. <clears throat> so let's have a look at this passage. Uh, there's three things I want to draw out of this passage. And the first one is we need to put on Christ's character Second, we need to do that within Christ's community. And finally, we see just how extensive the the change that Christ um, brings to our life actually is. So first, we need to put on Christ's character. We see that in verses 12 to 14. And verse 12, it begins with, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, again, you can see the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, he's constantly reminding the Colossians of who they are. He's saying, remember, you are God's chosen ones. You are holy. That is set apart for God. You are beloved. And incidentally, that's the way uh, the people in the Old Testament were always described. Chosen, holy, beloved. And when we come to Christ, that's our identity too. That's who we are in Christ. And now Paul is saying, well, that's to shape the way you live. 
What does it look like in practice? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. See, these are the the virtues that are fitting for you as someone in Christ. And the reason why is because they are the very things that define Jesus himself. Now think about compassion. How often in the Gospels do you see Jesus showing compassion? He sees the hurting. He sees the suffering. He sees the confused, uh, the troubled, the rejected, the hungry, and he has compassion on them. And compassion, it actually is something that you feel. The word in, in the original Greek language it has the idea of intestines. And that seems a little bit strange, but it's because it's this deep gut feeling. It's when you see someone in pain that you feel that pain that they're having. That's what compassion is. And so it's the very opposite of self-centeredness. Self-centeredness doesn't notice other people's troubles because you're so concerned about your own troubles. But compassion notices, compassion reaches out. It's something you feel. And if it is something you feel, then kindness, the next one on the list, is something you do as a result. You move toward that person, you help out in any way that you can. And again, we see that in Jesus so often, reaching out to those who everyone else had rejected. Third on the list is humility, which is that attitude of thinking of others ahead of yourself, thinking of others above yourself. Meekness, next is, or or gentleness, is someone who is not harsh, someone who is not critical or condemning. And again, you see those in Jesus so often. He even described himself like that when he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Why can we trust him? This is what he says, For I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, if you've come to know Jesus, you have experienced his compassionate heart. You've experienced his kindness. You've experienced his humility, his his meekness, his patience. That's the way he is toward you. And if that's the way he is, and his his life now defines you, then it's only fitting that, that, that these characteristics are what should now define your life, what should characterize you, what you should put on, like putting on a garment. And anything else will not fit you. It won't fit with who you are. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen a, a little child become attached to a certain item of clothing, you know, like a favorite jumper. But unfortunately for children, they grow up. And eventually that favourite jumper doesn't fit anymore. And yet, what what do they do? They keep trying to squeeze into it. And as a result, they look ridiculous. No, no, they need clothes that fit them. And that's what this passage is saying. You need clothes or characteristics that actually fit you. That fit who you are. Who are you? You are in Christ. You are loved. You are accepted through Christ. His life defines you, and and therefore these are the only things that will fit. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness or gentleness, patience. Is that 
Does that describe you? On top of that, notice verse 13, bearing with one another, which means putting up with each other, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Uh, forgiving each other. If, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, again, this, this is radical because what do we do when someone hurts us? What do we do when someone frustrates us or annoys us? Uh, we tend to write them off or hold on to a grudge, avoid them altogether. And here we're told, no, no, we're actually to forgive, to forgive those who have hurt you. How do you do that? And the answer is, remember who you are. Remember what you have received from Jesus. Imagine if Jesus treated us the way we so often treat those who hurt us. Can you, can you imagine him saying, get lost. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Look at the way you've treated me. He's not like that. He's forgiven you. And therefore, if the, he has done that to you, and when that gets into your heart, you can no longer hold on to those things that others have done against you. You forgive. You let them go. See, that's how the gospel works in your life. And then the most important garment, or, or is it a belt? Verse 14, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And again, if there is one virtue that can sum up Jesus, it is love. He is love. Because love puts the needs of others ahead of your own, despite the personal cost that it is. And nowhere is that better displayed than at the cross, where Jesus out of compassion, out of kindness. He went to the cross, bore the ultimate cost. He paid for all of our sin by dying in our place. And he did that out of love. And so if you are in Christ, if his life defines you, then these are the only things that will fit with who you really are. Therefore, put them on. Put them on daily. You know, we can sum up the Christian life as that lifelong pattern of taking off everything that doesn't fit and putting on everything that does so that people can actually see Christ in you. That's how it works. So that's the first thing. Put on Christ's likeness or put on Christ's character. Uh, the second thing we see in this passage is that you have to do that within Christ's community. Uh, that is, you can only live out this new life that you have in Christ by being integrally related to other believers within, the, within a church community or within the body of Christ. And you can actually see that right throughout this passage. It's assumed in every verse. I mean, even that first point that I just made about putting on Christ's character, you can only do that when you are in the context of a community. See, compassion, kindness, forgiveness, you can't practice those things in isolation. You need to be in relationship with other people and that's the context for practicing it. And, and so as believers, there actually must be a commitment to the body of Christ, to his people, his church. And do you know the re re real reason why? Again, because that is what you are. Believer, you are the body of Christ. 
And therefore, verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So there you go. Together we are members of Christ's body. And so we're to think of ourselves as being in Christ, but then we're also to think of each other as being in Christ. Together we are the body of Christ. We're to let that shape the way we think about each other. Now, this point was actually made in a very dramatic way back in verse 11, uh, which I didn't get, get onto uh, last week. It was part of last week's passage. But uh, Paul says here, so he's talking about the, uh, the church community. He says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, here's a little snapshot of the church in Colossae. And it's a very diverse mix of people. Uh, in that culture, these different people groups would not associate with each other as friends. They might have business transactions, uh, like any community does, um, but they would never get together as friends and have each other around for a meal and, and, and treat each other as family members. And yet when they become believers, when they come to Christ, what happens? All those old earthly identities, which is what that list is describing, they're no longer the main way, that, no longer the main thing that defines these people. It's who they are in Christ. As Paul says, Christ is all and in all. And that creates a whole new way of seeing each other and a whole new way of relating to each other. And that right there is the heart of how a community can function the way it should. That's how we should see each other, as being together in Christ. And this passage, if we go to verse 15, uh, there's actually two um, applications of this idea. That together we're the body of Christ. Here's two applications. Number one, we must be committed to peace. So verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And that's so important. Think about that. Why would, why would there need to be a call to peace within a community? It's because within any community, there is always going to be conflict. Whenever you get two or more people together, inevitably there will be conflict. And that can happen for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes it's just because of a simple misunderstanding. Sometimes it can be because one member of the community or more do act selfishly and push their own agenda at the expense of others. But sometimes disagreements and conflict can happen simply because we all have different preferences and different opinions on how things should be done. And in some ways that's actually not such a bad thing. It's sometimes good to have a different opinion that can actually help you grow and see things more clearly, uh, become more nuanced in your thinking. And so sometimes it's good to hear another opinion. However, whenever there are differences of opinions or different preferences or misunderstandings, there's always the potential for that to strain the relationships, to then lead into conflict and even warring between one another so that it destroys unity. Now, what will, that, what will stop that from happening? 
And the answer is peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And, and what that means is we are, as individuals, to be thinking very deeply about the peace that Christ has made between us and God and the peace that Christ has made between each other now that we're all one body. And we're to let that be the rule. Uh, in fact, that word for rule, in the original Greek language, it's a special word that actually means to act as an umpire. Let peace act as an umpire among you. And I think that's a helpful insight because what's the job of an umpire on the sporting field? The job of the umpire is to constantly intervene in the play and call everyone back in line with the rules. And so without, a, without an umpire enforcing the rules, what will happen to the game? It'll just be absolute chaos. It'll just end up as a big punch-up, probably. And so the umpire needs to come along and call people back to the rules. And that's how everything will function nicely. Well, here we see that in, within a church community, peace is to be the rule. Peace is to be the umpire. And so the way that works in practice, if you're in a situation where you feel yourself getting worked up and upset because of someone's opinion or preference uh, or someone's different point of view, now you feel yourself getting agitated, frustrated because they're in the way, the way this verse works is that it's like the umpire's whistle going off in your mind. When the peace of Christ is ruling, it's like hearing that umpire's whistle calling you to stop and come back to the rule. And what is the rule? We're one body in Christ. That's what is to be the rule. Called to peace. And that's the way you avoid conflict. It's also the way you um, heal uh, conflict as well. Um, because when you think about that, you realise that if we're all one in Christ, then divisions don't fit with who we are. That's not who we are in Christ. And so that forces us to deal with the fallouts that we have with each other. It helps us to reconcile. Because is Christ divided? No, he's not. Therefore, how can we be? Now, that's not to say that reconciling is easy. It's certainly not. In some cases, it's almost impossible. And sometimes you'll need a lot of help to do that. But when we see that we're called to peace, that we're called to be one body, then there's never a justification for not trying. It's to be the aim, to be one in Christ. We need to put that on in practice. So that's one implication. We're called to peace. The second application of being the body of Christ is that we're to be committed to building one another up in the word of Christ. So have a look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And this verse is interesting because it actually puts the responsibility of teaching on all of the members of the church. Okay, I'm up here teaching you now, and that's my role as a pastor. However, all of us are actually called to teach one another, to admonish one another. That's another way that we grow as, as a church. 
And so that means we all need to be committed to speaking the word of Christ to one another, which means talking about what the Bible teaches, because that's what the Bible is, the word of Christ. That is why conversations after church are so important. Okay, please don't run off after the service. Don't think of going to church like ticking off a box. Okay, I've done that. I can go back to my life. No, no, hang around. Have conversations. Conversations are so important. But here's the thing. Make your conversations about the word of Christ, which is actually quite easy to do if you remember this, this question that you can ask each other. You know, talk about the weather and, and the rain and all that. But at some point, say to, to one another, how did that passage challenge you today? And when you have a passage about compassion, kindness, humility, I'm sure we've all got a lot to talk about. Have conversations. That's how we practice verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. This is why Bible studies are so important in our church because those groups are set up to intentionally do that, to admonish one another. Uh, this is why that uh, book reading challenge that um, Alicia uh, came up with uh, the other week, uh, I'm really excited about because one of the, the um, intentions of it is to promote conversations. You know, to promote uh, mutual, what is it? Admonishing, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This is why that catechism experience, again, families get into this because that's another way of getting the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, in your families. See, there's so many, I could go on and on. But what I want to show you in this verse is, having said all that, what is the main way that Paul says that the word of Christ will dwell in you richly as a church? What's the main way that's going to happen, according to this verse? It's singing. Who would have ever imagined that? Isn't singing just some nice tradition that we do to fill in time to make the service a bit more, uh, what is it, you know, engaging? <laughs> Not at all. No, this is Christ's way of actually getting his word to dwell in us, to sing. When we sing, we're actually teaching, admonishing one another because we're singing about the word of Christ. We're singing about the gospel, and we know that because, well, the, that's the aim of singing, because the end it says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Thankful for what he has done for us in Christ. Singing is not an option. It's integral to being the body of Christ. It matches who we are. See, this is who we are. Together we are the body of Christ. That should change the way that we look at each other, the way we interact with each other. This is why meeting together is so important. Do you know if the lockdowns taught us anything last year and the year before? It's that you can't be who you truly are in isolation. We are the body of Christ. We need to meet together. This is why church membership is important because church membership is actually about making that commitment to being the body of Christ but making that public. It's like getting up here saying, I'm committed to you and you and you and you and you. I'm committed to being all that we are in Christ. And because together we are in Christ, his peace and his word must govern our interactions together. 
So there you go. We're to put on Christ's character. We're to do that within Christ's community. And the third thing we see is that Christ himself is to shape everything about us. So look at this last verse in this passage, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the, na- in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do. Now that word whatever, it doesn't really have much meaning these days. It's, it's the word that um, a, a teenager might um, utter when their parents tell them off. Or actually, after their parents turn their back, they might mouth it. You know. uh, but... In this sentence, it's actually a very open-ended word. It's so open-ended that it covers everything. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, whatever you do for a job, whatever you do on the weekends, whatever you do for a hobby, whatever you do in the evenings, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, to do something in the name of someone means to act as their representative. And so what this verse is saying is that every moment of your life, if you're in Christ, you're his representative in the world. And so the question that we need to ask is, are you an accurate representation of Christ? When people encounter you, do they see the likeness of Jesus in you? And as a church body, we need to ask this same question. Do we together accurately represent Christ in the world? Like Jesus said, uh, how will people know you're his disciples? By the way you love one another. And so are we accurately representing Christ? It would seem that we all have some changes to make. Uh, All of us. Uh, I, this, is, this is one of those passages where you need to go home and prayerfully sit down and just write down maybe two or three things. Two or three things that God has revealed to you today. Write them down. Make it a daily prayer to put these things on. Okay? Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness. Patience, because these are the things that fit who you are. Now, finally, where do you get the motivation to do all this? Because it it sounds hard. Where do you get the motivation to do it? Well, listen again to the, the verses on this screen. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you see what the motivation is to do this? It's gratitude. It's thinking about what God has done for you that's the motivation. Now, this is, see, this isn't God standing there with a whip saying, you better do this or else. This is not God standing on his, or up next to his throne saying, if you want to get into heaven, you better make sure that you achieve all this list or you're out. 
No, no. This is God saying, I have already accepted you fully by what Jesus has done for you. Because you're in, because you receive that, now live, live out who you are. Because this is what fits you. And so it's thankfulness. The thing that we're to be constantly thankful for is what Christ has done for us. When we remember that our sin deserved eternal death, and yet Jesus, out of compassion for us and kindness, went to the cross on our behalf, paid for our sin in full, and that because of his death for us, that we're now loved and accepted in the Father's eyes as if we were Christ himself. Oh, when that gets into your heart, that will drive you to want to do these things, to want to put on Christ-likeness, to want to be Christ's body, to represent Christ faithfully. See, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again praise you for the God that you are. You are not harsh and condemning, but rather slow to anger, patient, a God who is compassionate, a God of kindness. And we thank you for the cross, that, that, that great act in, in the centre of history where we can see that you are the God who loves those who don't deserve to be loved. Father, we thank you that Jesus willingly went to that cross on our behalf to pay for our sin. We thank you that we can see in, in him the greatest display of compassion and kindness and humility, that he would be willing to do that for such unworthy sinners as us. And we thank you for his meekness, the way that he doesn't come at us with criticisms or condemning words, but rather words of love and acceptance and embrace. And Father, we thank you for his patience because we acknowledge that we still fail you in so many ways every day and yet you don't throw us aside, but rather you call us to remember who we are, to remember what you have done for us and to let that be the motivation to, to change, to put off those things that displease you and, to, and put on uh, all these things that do fit our life in Christ. Help us to do that as a church, Father. Uh, we pray that if there is uh, divisions among us, that, that we wouldn't keep hiding them, but rather, Lord, that we would uh, do something about it, that we would reconcile where we need to reconcile, uh, that we would build bridges where we need to build bridges. Help us to teach and admonish one another, Lord. We pray that we would faithfully represent Christ uh, as individuals and also as a church. And we ask it in his name. Amen.